Creative Sandbox Way podcast, episode 179. Hello, I am Melissa Dinwiddie, and I believe that life is too short not to express the innate creativity inside of you. So I wrote a book called The Creative Sandbox Way, based around 10 guideposts that I developed to get myself out of creative stuck and back to the sense of playful creativity that I naturally had when I was a four-year-old. That book was just the tip of the iceberg. I continue the conversation each week with this podcast. Let's jump in. I met Gary Ware when we both attended the Applied Improvisation Network World Conference last summer in Irvine, California. And he was not only a fellow play evangelist, as it were, but he was incredibly generous. And we spent a lot of time together at that conference. And I felt like I had met the little brother that I'd always wanted. I'm I'm the younger of two children. So I always kind of wanted a younger sibling. Anyway, of course, I had to have him on the podcast. So have a listen to our conversation. And let me know what resonates most with you about Gary's story. As you will hear his play story, his history is really different from mine. So it's was really fun for me to, 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 uh, to talk to him and to sort of share our differences about how we grew up and stuff. And I'm curious how you will integrate play more into your life after listening to Gary's story. Enjoy. Gary Ware is the founder of Breakthrough Play, a company that helps teams be more creative, confident, and collaborative using play. To do this, Gary incorporates techniques that professional improvisers use to create amazing experiences without a script. Gary has been in the marketing and advertising industry for over a decade and first got into improvisation as a way to better his public speaking. Gary quickly found that improv and play could be a solution to various business challenges. So he started doing workshops for his team and other people in his network. Welcome, Gary. Hi, how are you doing? (laughs) I'm so delighted to have you. So we met at the Applied Improvisation Network World Conference in Irvine, California last October, almost a year ago now. Can you believe that? Almost a year ago. Man, time is going by so fast. Oh my God. I know it's crazy. And we had such a lovely connection and I'm delighted to have you on the podcast. And we were just chatting, I don't know, it was a couple of weeks ago now or something on a, on a Zoom call. And I wanted to bring you on the podcast because I think we were talking about your childhood and how kind of how you got into this whole thing and your experiences with play and I don't know, we're just so different from mine. So why don't we start there? How did you get where you are? (laughs) Wow. Oh my gosh. Um, How did I get where I am? If I can just rewind the clock. If you ask my mom, she would say I've been playing since birth. 
And I've always been that silly kid that was the class clown. And my dad was in the Navy. So I've been up until third grade, I went to so many different schools. And I found that a superpower that I had because of that situation was that I knew how to make friends. There was just something about it. I knew, all right, there's cool people that I want to hang out with. Um, I just found a way to just, I guess, in the words, my grandma be very charming. And I found that just my way of making friends was just acting silly and goofy. And so that was just something that I did. And, you know, sitting still was not one of my strong suits. <laughs> and my dad, he, you know, as a way to just like get me to behave, he said, well, Gary, if you do your work, you can play. You know, he knew that that's what I love to do. Mm-hmm. And that was something that he held over my head like a little carrot um, that when I was younger was very effective. And some of the ways that I love to play, uh, since we're talking about realms of play, is that I used to go out and I used to build forts in the neighborhood mm-hmm. with my friends. We'd make these amazing, we didn't have tree forts, but we would, and now that I think about this, this sounds kind of weird. We would go and hide in bushes and we would make them our forts and we would dig tunnels. And it was just so amazing to do. And then video games came around and I loved video games. And that's how I played. Though, you know, I just loved, you know, doing that. I loved, you know, playing out with friends. We used to do a lot of make-believe stuff. Um, I also found that I was an entertainer. So I would make these talent shows with my cousins for my family. And we would do things like uh, lip sync our favorite uh, soundtracks to movies, uh, like The Little Mermaid. (laughs) (laughs) Or I grew up in the 90s. So it was like 90s hip hop and R&B. We would do that and make our own like little music video talent shows and stuff like that. So I found that I loved making people laugh. I loved making people smile. And I didn't realize until years later that that was something that came in handy with my work that I do now. Uh, Yeah, totally does. What's very interesting to me is how similar so many of the things that you just shared are to what the stories that my husband has shared with me. He did not grow up in the military or anything like that, but his father is a retired Episcopal priest. And there's a lot of similarities moving around from place to place. Kids who grew up as, you know, in um, the clergy, as uh, kids of clergy parents have similarities to military brats, uh, army brats or whatever. They get moved around a lot and have to make new friends and stuff. And my husband also has that goofy sense of humor and goofy side to his personality, although he's an extreme introvert. So I don't know whether you, you know, sort of identify more as an introvert or an extrovert. My husband does not consider himself a performer type but definitely has that goofy, loves to make people laugh side to him. So that's really interesting. Wow, so fascinating. I I consider myself more of an ambivert. I do need that time to recharge. And in situations when I don't know someone, I can be very sort of closed off and and quiet. Yeah. Um, But once I feel comfortable, and and I guess it goes back to, you know, growing up, you know, there would be times where I'm like, all right, I don't know anyone. So like, I may come across as kind of shy as just don't really know someone. But once I feel comfortable and safe, then, oh, yeah, it's it's on like Donkey Kong. 
Yeah, that's like my husband with his group of friends. He's like totally insane, but he would prefer to. In fact, we I took him to a Thanksgiving dinner at my family's house when we were dating the first time around that we were dating, and nobody remembers him being there. And everybody is so embarrassed that they don't remember him being there. And he loves that. He loved that he was just wallpaper. Like, he's not embarrassed. He doesn't feel bad about it at all. And everybody else is just horrified that they don't remember it. And he's like, yes, that's how I like it. (laughs) That sounds like my wife. My wife is very much an introvert. And it is awesome if she can go through without being noticed. Um, However... Um, she, that's why she doesn't necessarily like going out with me because she's like, everyone knows you (laughs) and I'm trying to get through without being noticed. And we have a 15 month old son uh, named Garrett and Garrett, I guess, takes after his dad. Um, he can't (laughs) help but to go places and attract attention. And so she said, it's a great learning experience for me because I'm learning to get outside my comfort zone. Uh, but she says, I cannot go out of the house without being really proper because you know Garrett is going to do something and then is going to attract attention and then naturally they're like oh hi you must be his mom <laughs> yeah I was reading an article of a friend of mine um, Marsha Shandor she she oh, I love Marsha do you know Marsha yeah. yeah she's amazing and she had this uh, wrote this newsletter I don't know a couple months back or something where she was talking about how the frustration of when you're out with people and you know you're like the shining star and everybody's paying attention to you and then suddenly something switches and nobody knows you're there and how with the reframe like that's a superpower that you're it's your invisibility cloak right and exactly. so like that's my husband my husband has that superpower that he could just turn that on and blend in with the wallpaper and it's his invisibility cloak I mean, of course, we all can activate that if we want to, but the mm-hmm. trick is, is activating it when you want to. <laughs> right? <laughs> yes. Not, not, not having it turn on when you don't want it to turn on, right? Agreed. Yes. <laughs> so anyway, you, you were the super playful kid and you figured out that you could be really goofy and make people laugh and you had this play superpower. So then what happened? Yeah. And so then I went to college and... That superpower of play, it got me through college. And then once I graduated, then it didn't work so well. So that belief, that methodology that I followed with my dad of you can play when the work is done didn't work because, as we all know, as you know, professionals, whether we run our own business or we work for a company, there is more work than can get done. And it always work. Yeah. And, and my goal, my end goal is always to play and to be happy and to have fun. However, I felt or I thought the way that you did that was to, you know, be uber successful. So on paper, everything was great. Um, I, you know, at the time I was in digital marketing, I was like the, one of the youngest directors of this agency that I work for. I was managing people and I was making, a, I guess, a lot of money, you know, based on, on that standard. Uh, but I was miserable because I was always working. Mm-hmm. And when I finally did get a vacation, I was so exhausted that the first few days I spent like recuperating. And usually I got sick. Yes. Because uh, your body's like, 
like so when you're going like 120 and you slam on the brakes, like your body's like, all right, what's going on? And so that was, I, I call it the hamster wheel of life yeah. where I was just like running, running, running. And then it wasn't until, like I said, you know, you mentioned in my bio that I found improv and I realized I'm like, oh my God, it's play again. Yes. Oh my God. I'm such an evangelist for improv. <laughs> yeah, ditto. Yeah, yeah. People like, is this a cult? Is this a cult? And I was like- I- Yes. I actually just had, this is so funny. I actually just had somebody, an improviser who I perform with, ask me if the Applied Improv Network was a cult. Yes. (laughs) And if by cult, you mean people that uh, support you 110% and believe in you and and want you to do your very best, then yeah, it's a cult. (laughs) But if by cult, you mean they try to get you to start with your money and do things <laughs> that they want you to do that have yeah. do not have your best interests at heart no yeah exactly <laughs> so it's 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 all based on what you think of but uh yeah the whole principles of improv so i remember it like it was yesterday i and the interesting thing is i wasn't excited about improv at first mm. it's something i fell into on accident Someone said, hey, Gary, you should do improv. It would, you know, I think you would get a lot out of it. When was that? This was about seven, eight years ago. Okay. And so I never, I didn't do it in college. Like I wasn't a theater person. Uh, I performed as in, I was in band in like high school and I I played instruments, but I never, I didn't do improv. What instruments did you play? I played the saxophone. And then uh, when ska wasn't as popular, uh, I picked up the bass guitar. Yeah. And so, so yeah, that's what I did. Um, and then someone had mentioned, Hey Gary, you should take improv because I hated Toastmasters. Uh, it, it caused so much anxiety. <laughs> I don't know. If, yeah. So Toastmasters and you would think, all right, why does that cause so much anxiety? But if you think about it, Toastmasters helping you become a better public speaker, but you're being judged all the time. Mm-hmm. And so I never thought I was good enough. I always came back feeling like, like I sucked at speaking, that I couldn't speak. And I, I, I'm not a really good test taker. So when I'm put on mm. the spot in that situation, like I just choked. And yeah. so that's why they mentioned, well, improv will help you. And I was like, well, I'm not funny, or at least not funny by other people's standards. My mom thinks I'm funny. <laughs> and yeah. that, that is such a common misconception because mm-hmm. most people's understanding of improv is what they see on television. Yes. And they see whose line is it anyway, or they think of the improv, the comedy club down the street or downtown or whatever, where professional comedians get up and tell scripted jokes in, in an attempt to make people laugh. And people are sitting there with their arms crossed saying like, yeah, make me laugh. Yes. That's what they think Mm -hmm. when you say improv. Yes. And when you, Gary, and I, Melissa, are talking about improv, that is not what we're talking about. Exactly. That was my same perception of improv. So I was scared. But, you know, when someone that you trust gives you a piece of advice, even if it terrifies you, you know, sometimes you just got to do it. And I, so going back to the story, I remember it like it was yesterday. I almost didn't even go to the improv. Like I signed up for this class. It was a Monday. Mondays and agency is like the busiest day of the whole week because it's you know after the weekend. So there's a lot mm. of requests from clients and reporting. And the class started at seven and it was 6.30. I was still at work. And 
I was dreading like going to this, but I was like, you know what? Let me give it a shot. You know, why not? What's the worst that can happen? And I did. And I am so glad that I did because for two hours, I didn't think about my to-do list. I didn't think about anything. I was completely present and we were playing. We were doing these silly games that you and I both know, you know, that are really fun, but you look goofy. But those games created this safe, amazing space for magic to happen. And I started learning the principles of improvisation. Yes, and make your partner look amazing. You know, I started becoming a better listener. And then I was hooked, like, yeah, from day one, I was like, give me more of this improv stuff. So you said those two hours, you weren't thinking about work. How long it had, had it been? since you'd had that experience, do you think? Years. Yeah. Prior to that, I can't think of anything that I've done where I was that present and that focused. Yeah. And so like, yeah, it was really magical. And then I was like hooked immediately and I was telling everyone about this improv stuff. I'm like, oh my gosh, you need to take it. It's so much fun. People are like, you're crazy. (laughs) Um, And then it wasn't my intent to perform, but because I did it so much, I was like, well, I guess I should perform. And so then I started performing. But before I even did that, I started bringing these silly games that we were doing, like, you know, Yes And and, and who know, Dr. Know-It-All, like all these silly things. And I used to I'd bring it to my team yeah. and I would teach them the principles of improv and we would play these games. And magically, we started performing better. Yes. You know. That's that's the thing that is so amazing is that when you start incorporating these silly games, I mean that's what they are, right? They're silly games mm-hmm. that started in the world of theater to help yes. actors bond and, you know, practice the skills that they need to perform on stage and to build a better performance group and things like that. When you play these silly games, it m- helps you function better as a team for business. It helps you become a better leader. It, yeah. It's it's really quite amazing. Yeah, agreed. And this was even before I got into the like learning about applied improvisation and learning about the science. I just did it because I was a, a newer manager and I you know, just wanted to have stuff for my employees. And then we just started bonding better. And I didn't know why. I just know like we we really trust each other. Things were going good. Again, I started getting more promotions because of it. And and then it wasn't until actually it was still a few years later before I actually got into like the science and the applied improvisation. And it's funny because there was another epiphany moment. And that's when I met one of your, actually your former guests on your podcast, Gary Hirsch. Yes. That I learned about AIN in the Applied Improvisation Network. Oh, wow. Very cool. Yeah. And it was at a conference that we didn't necessarily go together, but we both been to uh, a World Domination Summit. That's where I first met Gary. Which is where I first, I didn't actually meet him, but where I first encountered Gary yes. as well. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And then I learned about that that's what he did for a living, that he used improv as a tool to help companies. And I was like, how do I do that? <laughs> that's a thing? That's a th- <laughs> Right? That's a thing. And then, you know, as you know, from going to the World Domination Summit, I wonder if it was the same year, like when we got the Brave Bots, is that when you first were encountered by Gary? No, I just went to the first three years of oh, the it. World Domination Summit. And I think he I think he was there in 2013, which is the third year. Got it. So that was 
right before I, I came, I came the next year and that's where we all got brave bots. But again, like improvisers are very generous and, and I have my brave bot right here. Look, there it is. Cause he spoke at the, of course, everybody listening to the podcast can't, can't see this, but we're in a video conference room on zoom right now with some, some of my creative sandbox members in the live studio audience. And I've got brave bot number 37, 1829 which is hand painted on a domino and it was given to me by somebody who had found it taped under their chair at the Creative Problem Solving Institute in Buffalo, New York last June, a year ago last June and the thing about and you can listen to Gary's episode, I don't remember what number it was, but it was a few months back and the thing about uh, Gary's bots is they are designed to be given away. Mm-hmm. So my roommate at that conference at the Creative Problem Solving Institute, this was taped under her chair. There was, I don't know, five or six of them or something that were taped under people's chairs. And she found this one and she gave it to me. Wow. So, that is amazing. I know. Pretty cool, huh? But yeah. And so that's, again, the thing, once you start learning some of these principles, you can't unlearn them. Like once you like right. fully commit and believe it, it shows that like you start becoming a better person. And so I had reached out to Gary, just wanted to like show my appreciation of, you know, everything. It was my first WDS. I got a brave bot. Like I was just, I learned that improv is something that you can do as a business. <laughs> and so I it reached just out. changed your life. It, that's all. Seriously. Right. <laughs> and yeah, at world domination summit, like I made this commitment. I'm like, you know what? I am going to make this my business and you know, I need to find someone who's already doing it. There's that Gary guy. My name is Gary. We already have something in common. <laughs> and I reached out to him and, and he graciously hopped on Skype and we had, like a 45 minute to an hour Skype call where he told me everything, his story and how he got into it and what his company does. And then he said, if you really want to like, you know, become a professional at this, you need to go to AIN. And I was like, all right, cool. What's this AIN? And then it was almost like one of those things, like once something becomes in your awareness, you can't help but to see it everywhere. Yeah. And so that was one of those things I learned that improv is something that you can do as a profession, like a pride imp- applied improvisation. I met Gary. Gary told me a bit about AIN. I looked and like, oh my gosh, there's all these amazing people. And fortunate for me, that was right before Montreal, which was like, I think four years ago or three years ago, something like that. And it was perfect timing. I had something scheduled that weekend and that just got canceled. So my weekend opened up that I got a chance to go to Montreal and then really dive into this work. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. Wow. So how did you get your first applied improv gig? Oh, so yeah. So after I got back from WDS and I said, you know what? I want to do this. I was in the marketing and advertising uh, world in San Diego and I was um, on the board of what is the San Diego ad club, you know, our local advertising club. And I said, Hey, would you mind if I, cause they were always looking for program ideas. Would you mind if I ran a workshop that would, you know, use the principles of the improvisation to help marketers be more creative? And they were like, yeah, sure. And so my first like official gig, it was free yeah. and I ran it. It was a two hour workshop where again, 
I never really done program design. I just, again, took the stuff that I worked on with my employees and put together two hours of improv material. And then I learned about, you know, doing proper debriefs, et cetera. And I did that. And then people, again, like were mesmerized and said, how can I book you? And then that's where I started doing this for marketing professionals, sales and marketing professionals. And they were just people in my network um, that would hire me. And then, you know, that started growing and I started, you know, branching out and doing it for other companies. But yeah, that was my modest beginning of just doing it for free. I called it a complimentary recess. I love that. I just love complimentary recess. It's so fun. And and that's around the time when I started learning about the psychology of play because I would go and say, Hey, you know, to, to companies and I would like, would you be interested in an improv workshop? Um, you know, it's really great for creativity and collaboration, yada, yada, yada. And like, "Mm, no, we're not into this improv stuff. And I'm like, Oh, and then people were scared of it. And I'm like, all right, well, what else? You know, if it's not improv, what else could I call it? And then I stumbled along this book called Play uh, by a gentleman by the name of Dr. Stuart Brown. And he talked about how the opposite of play isn't work. The opposite of play is depression. Yes. And that adults are actually suffering from play deprivation. There's a lot of research that backs this up. And then I was like, we need to play. So improv is just one form of play. And then like, I, again, once I get into something, like I go like deep and like, I read every book that I could. And then I like found all this research that as adults, we need to play more. And you would think that that would be the the thing. Like, like if you think about a story, like, you know, this hero's journey, I'm like, come to this epiphany. No, that wasn't the thing because most adults <laughs> hate playing and their impression of playing is that it's frivolous. It's stuff that kids do. It's a waste of time. Right. And then I was like, Oh my gosh. So they don't want to do improv cause they're scared of it. They don't want to play because they think it's a waste of time, even though there's science that backs up the fact that play is just as important as breathing and that every, like we are the only species that don't play, you know, we should play and a lot of adults do play, but you know, we stop playing, you know, most other mammals and species like that, they continue playing because they see the benefits of how it helps you be um, more connected, how it helps you like do things at a, you know, sort of low stakes level so that you can improve your skills. They just keep playing just because they do. They do. Yeah. Just because they're animals and, and that's what they do. That's what like functional beings do. (laughs) Exactly. But us humans at the like top of the food chain. order, quote unquote, yes. beings, we, no, no, no. Exactly. We stop when we reach adulthood. I know. And so nonetheless, then I hit another brick wall <laughs> where people are like, no, nah, we don't have budget for play. There's no play. No, budget. we need something that's going to, that's going to impact the bottom line. Exactly. So I, so I did what my mom did to me when I was a kid. So when I was a kid, I really didn't like to eat vegetables. So I don't know what kid does. And so growing up in the eighties, my mom is like, all right, I need to get my kid to eat vegetables. What do I do? So she did what any good mom would do back then. She put it in macaroni and cheese. Um, <laughs> yep. <laughs> and so I ate my vegetables. And so that's what I would do is I would hide this improv and play as a Trojan horse behind things like communications training yes. and creativity training and, uh, you know, anything like compliance training. 
<laughs> yes. You then, sell them what they want. Yes. You give them what they need. Exactly. And then they would have so much fun that they were like, all right, wow, this was amazing. And then, you know, as you know, as a uh, amazing facilitator, the magic happens when they're connecting the dots and when you're doing the debrief and stuff like that. Um, and so then now they see through this low stakes, weird game that they played, how it impacts their day to day. And so I'm like, all right, great. And then what I found from some neuroscience is that what's happening when they're playing they're having neurological sinkage. Like, so if you put like an EKG uh, machine on everyone's heads, you'll find that their brain waves are actually in sync with each other. And that's actually creating oxytocin um, in their, you know, that neurotransmitter oxytocin, which is uh, aligned with empathy and, you know, goodwill and trust. And so they're trusting each other. Yes. I know. If only we could get our world leaders to play together. Oh my God. Yes. <sighs> so nonetheless, That is like my mission. (laughs) My mission, uh, I I made a bold statement on social media because, right, that's where we're supposed to make these bold declarations. Yes. Um, And I said, I want to help a million adults learn how to play again. (gasps) Oh my God, I'm so on board with that. Yes. And so by any means necessary, (laughs) I'm calling it the playful rebellion. I'm on board with your playful rebellion. That's fantastic. Yes. And so I even have little buttons. Uh, I don't know if you can see Yeah, it. I can see it. It says playful AF. Which stands for playful as beep F. I don't know if, if I can <laughs> show. But my mom saw it and my mom said, oh, playful and fun. Oh, that's so cute, Gary. I like it. Just, just let her think that. That works. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, mom. That's me. <laughs> Like, oh, that's so you. You were so playful and fun. I'm like, oh, (laughs) that's great. So, one of the things that I know you talk about is how, with this, which is completely in alignment with what I teach and preach, is how just a little bit of play goes a long way. And you, you talk about this plus play. Yes. Can you expand on that? Yeah. So I have this, you know, this methodology that I preach and it helps me, you know, get adults to play little by little is that I say play is like the condiment of, you know, life. You add a little bit of play and, you know, things get easier. We have more fun. We connect. And if you've ever seen Mary Poppins, Mary Poppins, you know, she talks about that, like, you know, spoonful, spoonful of, sugar. of sugar, you know, yeah, you add an element of fun and you snap the job's a game. And, you know, that's my thing. And I call it plus play. And I say, you know, if you add play to any sort of situation, magic happens. And I talk about, like, if you add play to networking, you get deeper relationships. Mm. Uh, you know, think about when we were kids. And we would go out to recess and we would play with each other. You know, that's how your best friends are formed, you know, you know, around the four square, um, you know, court or playing Barbies or playing whatever, like that bonding helped solidify that friendships. Um, And so I get brought on to do um, what I call, you know, intentional play networking events where we would do some really fun play based games as a way to get to know each other better. 
And I was actually just at the World Domination Summit where I was fortunate enough to co-facilitate a few of these things. And it was magical. When you play, you essentially, when you're really playing, not super competitive playing. So if we can just set the definition clear, it's like we're playing for the sake of playing. We're not necessarily playing to win. We're just playing to play. You set aside all your judgments for the sake of the game. And the people that when they were done with that, you would think that they've known each other for years. Yeah. Like, so imagine, imagine this, this is, these are complete strangers after two hours of this play, they felt like they know each other for like years. Imagine when you get people that do know each other, either their coworkers or their friends, and then they do this, like imagine the impact that that could happen. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, that's like one of the things and I, in the business world, um, if you add play to brainstorming, you know, that's where the innovation happens. Yes, absolutely. You know, it made me think about when I was a little kid and it would be time, you know, we'd have friends over and we'd be playing all the toys would be all over the place and it would be time to put them away. And, you know, those of you who are watching this live, you can see my studio and, you know, I... Uh, I am not an example of like minimalist tidiness here. And I'm about to do, by the time this goes live, it will be over, I'm sure. But I'm about to run very shortly at the near the end of July, a three-week great clutter bust, you know, out of uh, my own personal need because I am a magnet for clutter. That started when I was very little. So it was time to clean up the mess. And I never wanted to do it. I hated it. I always hated it and I still do. So what my mom did is she started what she called um, special delivery. She just was like, all right, it's time to special delivery to put all the, like deliver the packages to their, you know, to, to their places where they belong or whatever. And so these, you know, cranky kids would turn into these super excited racing around the room, carrying these, you know, packages, quote unquote, to their shelves and drawers and whatever, running around going, special delivery, special delivery. I think she probably put music on, you know, and we're just running around, special delivery, special delivery. And it was like the funnest thing. She turned it into a game, totally turned it into play. And I also think about, because of course you and I do really similar things. And one of the things that I do with my consultancy, Creative Sandbox Solutions, is, you know, they're, they're intensive, but they're essentially half day or full day play days where we're doing pretty intensive things like figuring out what the values are, the, the guiding principles or whatever of a team, but we're doing play in order to figure those things out. And that by the end of the day or the half day or whatever time period it is, the people in that group are so amazingly bonded. And usually it's an intact team to begin with. So they know each other already, but the intensity of the bond is so powerful because they have just played together all day long. It's amazing. Agreed. And if I may add the neuroscience, so for the people that need that proof (laughs) there, when you go through an experience like this, when you have extreme arousal, either positive or negative, your unconscious mind goes into heightened awareness and they're making notes of everything. So think about like on the negative side, like if something really scary happens or maybe you're in an accident, you have a heightened remembering of that date. Like everyone, like 
you know, it's unfortunate, but you're in the US, everyone knows where they were on 9-11. Right. Because that was an extreme uh, arousal in the negative state. Now, swing it to the positive, the same thing happens. And so when you create this amazing experience through play, where you are doing the work, you know, you're creating values or you're brainstorming, whatever, everyone is you know, they feel amazing. And what happens is you start to associate the way that your brain works, it will associate the people and the smells and everything that happened with that experience. And by association, you start to like it better. For example, a funny story, my very first time going to Portland, going to Portland for pleasure was when I went to the World Domination Summit. And because I had such an amazing time, Portland like has a soft spot in my heart. Like I always love Portland. (laughs) Yes. And so much so that I stayed with a friend while I was there and her lobby had this very distinct scent. Mm. And I remember walking into it uh, and smelling it's very fresh scent. And I didn't know at the time that that scent had an imprint in my brain until I was at a hotel for a completely different event and their soap or not soap, their lotion smelled like their lobby. And when I smelled it, it reminded me of her lobby, which reminded me of World Domination Summit. And I got giddy just smelling that scent. (laughs) That's so cool. So much so that I stole all the lotions (laughs) and I keep them. (laughs) Oh my gosh. But that's what happens when you have an amazing experience. Now, contrary, like contrast that to normal sort of brainstorming events or or team like activities where it's so boring. (laughs) They said, and so um, neuroscience said this, nodding her head. If you don't have arousal, so like boring is zero arousal. Like, yeah, you are not compelled to do anything and you won't remember anything. Like it is just dull. And so like, think about like a normal day. Like if I were to ask you, oh, what did you do on June 19th of like 2008? Like, unless that was a, exactly, you're not going to remember it. Your brain doesn't save because you only have limited space in your brain. Your brain isn't going to save memory space for that because it wasn't important. And you think about like other sort of training or things that people do. If it's boring, they're not going to remember it. It's not going to make an impact. More importantly, it is probably like so painful that they remember it as a negative experience (laughs) and they never want to do it again. Right. And they hate everyone around them because they're all irritated. And (laughs) and that's actually uh, what researchers call the devil's cocktail, which is a mix of cortisol and adrenaline. And when you have that in your body, you are non-agreeable, you're irritated, you essentially will not like the people around you. But when you're playing, it's activating positive emotions, and so it's this heightened positive state. Yes, exactly, because we're wired to play. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Do you happen to remember all of the, I think it's eight different play personalities that Stuart Brown talks yeah, Dr. about Stuart in, his, Brown. in his book. So I, I think that's such an important thing for people to, to understand that yes. there are different play personalities. And mm-hmm. when you, when you know your primary play personality, then primary and secondary, then it can be easier for you to, to figure out what you can turn to for a little quick burst of play. Yes. So I'll, I'll just go through them. So the first one uh, that they talk about is the Joker. Uh, the Joker play personality I really align with. And My if husband you're, too. 
if you're a joker, your play revolves around some sort of nonsense. Uh, you enjoy practical jokes or you always have some sort of joke to tell to entertain people around you. You know, you're comfortable being silly and you get delight in making people laugh. The next one is the kinesthetic or kinesthetic something or another. You're, if that aligns with you, as far as a plea personality, you're very playful when you're moving. Um, you know, it could be through yoga or through any sort of athletics, dance, jumping rope. It's just movement. You might like competition, but if this play personality aligns with you, it's more about the movement and the goal of the activities rather than the, the winning. You know, you just like doing it for the sake of doing it. Then there's the explorer, um, someone that aligns with this play personality. You love to explore new places or gather new experiences. Um, you know, that could be through travel, adventure, research, uh, diving into different points of view. They even say, you know, that could be exploring through meditation or through music or movement. Then there's the competitor. Now, this is when people think of play. They mostly think of this because this is very sports related. Mm -hmm. uh, but you like very specific rules and playing to win. Uh, you have this exhilaration when you're competing on the sports field or in a board game or in the boardroom or even competing against yourself. Um, I have a really good friend. His name is Kai. And if you're listening to this, Kai, you know, this is you. Um, <laughs> and it was funny because we, we did this work and he's like, yep, that's me. And he loves competition. Like he played sports as a kid. That was like his thing. And he competes with himself all the time. So what, so when we played a board game, he was getting stomped. And it's funny, like when we play these games, sometimes our childhood personalities come out. He's like, no, nah, guys, I don't want to play anymore. <laughs> it was so funny. So that's the, the, the competitor uh, one. Uh, the director, uh, this play personality, you love organizing and planning and orchestrating events. Um, you like to be the one in charge, planning out what everyone's going to do. And you're comfortable being the center of attention. That is um, totally my, nep my, uh, my nephew by marriage. <laughs> Yeah. And then there's the collector. Uh, this is another one that I recently I realized that I have a small affinity to. But you play by gathering the most interesting objects and experiences. You know, you may like travel, you know, traveling the world to collect cultural experiences or surround yourself with objects like clothing, equipment, memorabilia, the latest technology or gadgets. You might also like collecting, like in my case, where I realized I was the collector, there were uh, at World Domination Summit, this is year eight. And they announced that they had pens and they have a pen. Um, so they had a year eight pen and they had the other years. Um, and there's only going to be two more WDSs. So they have a year nine and 10. So if you come to those, you get those. And I was so excited. I was like, oh, I got to get these pens. <laughs> the next one is the artist or creator. And if you align with this one, you love me, which yes, Melissa is the prime person for this one. You love to make things, whether it's something beautiful or something functional or even something silly. That may include gardening, cooking, cutting hair, music. Sometimes you may not never even show people this creation, but like it's the, like creating it and going through this process, you get this intrinsic joy. You know, it's all about self-expression and whatnot. And this is another one that aligns with me. This one is the storyteller. Um, and this sort of play uh, uh, focuses around fantasy and the imagination. If you're a storyteller, you may like to perform or write or do improv. Uh, like 
you really immerse yourself in this sort of fantasy world, whether it's literature and movies, and you love feeling that emotion and experiences of uh, the characters. And so that is one that really aligns with me so much. So if I go to the movies, like I find myself like so immersed in the experience that it's like a very visceral experience. Like my wife will look over if I'm watching something I'm super engaged in and she's like, Gary, you okay? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I feel like that's those two, the artist and the storyteller. Those are my big ones. Yeah. And there's one more. And um, this one's the connector. Uh, you love most forms of social play, uh, whether it's good party or networking. Um, it can be anything like religious or non-religious, but you love, you don't have to be the one in charge, but you just love um, being part of a tribe or community for you. Like that is play. And so as Melissa mentioned, you know, these came from the book Play by Dr. Stuart Brown. And when you realize that play is a very personal experience, you can find one, two, you know, whatever those that align with you and figure out how can you use those play personalities as a compass. Um, a mentor of mine, her name is uh, Gwen Gordon. She calls it the compass of joy. So use that use these play personalities to find your compass of joy and figure out how can you play again as an adult and use that as a guide. Yeah. I love that so much because before I encounter, before I read the book, I actually listened to the audiobook, but before I read the book, I wasn't familiar with those. I think, I think it's eight, right? Yeah. I believe it's eight. Yeah. wasn't familiar with those play personalities. And so my definition of play was kind of stunted mm-hmm. and it helped me so much to see that like my husband is such a joker and to understand that the ways that, I mean, he plays constantly through and, you know, he, we all have connections with multiple different person play personalities at different, different times probably, Mm -hmm. but he definitely has a huge alignment with that, with the joker. And, and that enabled me to see, Oh, look at him play. Look at him. He's playing right now. Look at, Look at like he's always constantly trying to make me laugh and being goofy and realizing that that is how he's playing and that has enabled me to see my play in how I relate to that and to open up my playfulness with him and to like to allow my inner joker to come out which is not as much of an innate thing for me but to like free that up for me it's been it's been very liberating and really helpful to bring out my my own playfulness throughout throughout the day so it's not just like this thing that gets tacked on exactly that you do when the work is done but you won't do because you feel guilty and that is yeah that is something that you know Melissa you mentioned that at the top of the show and this is something that I like I encourage everyone to do is you know, schedule play. Yes. We five are minutes. in such alignment. Yes. Five minutes, 10 minutes, do it at the top of your day. Like how Melissa, you had told me that you start the day by doing your doodles, like, you know, just to jumpstart your day, whatever it is, it doesn't have to be. And this is a thing where if your sort of perception is play is this grandiose thing that has to be planned out, then you'll never play because there's never enough time. However, if you can schedule five minutes, and then figure out like, all right, how did you play as a kid? What play personality? And then maybe do you know something similar to that? It will bring up 
like so much joy in you. And, and Melissa, you actually inspired me. I don't think I ever told you this story, but because you told me about your doodles, uh, there was this one gal that I met at a networking event and she was asking about play and I was talking about play personalities and, and how I, you know, challenge people to play by doing it five minutes at a time. And then she, I asked her what did she used to do as a kid and she used to draw and she, you know, do sketches and stuff like that. And I told her about your, your doodles. And I said, I challenge you to do five minutes of just doodling every day. Like you don't have to show anyone, just doodle and see, see what happens. It may work. It may not work. And, and I saw her like a month later and she's like, Gary, that was amazing. Yes. (laughs) I love it. It ripples out. That makes me so happy. Yay. (laughs) Yay. Well, we are at the top of the hour. And so uh, even though I would like to kidnap you and keep you for another hour or three days. <laughs> it means I just have to come back. You have you to have, have a part two. You definitely, ha- we're going to have to ha- do a part two. But in the meantime, did you bring something cool to share or to talk about? You don't have to be a physical thing, but you know, I have a yes. something cool yes, I did. section. Oh, excellent. Yep. What is your something yes, cool? Sorry, I, I did my homework. Yay. So this is something, it's called uh, Aaron's Thinking Putty. Ooh. And so this is a mini one. I take it with me when I travel. Uh, because I'm very kinesthetic by nature and I love to just have my hands working with stuff and you can get it in big versions. You can get it small versions. It's like silly putty, except they have different ways of working with them. So this one is hyper color. So as it gets hotter, it changes colors. And I have another one in a bigger version that is magnetic. So you can do all kinds of cool stuff with it. Doesn't leave residue on your hands. And you can rip it. You can put it back together. It is amazing. Uh, this was like four bucks. Like I, I got it at a toy store for four bucks. I, the bigger ones I think are nine or something like that. You can get them on Amazon and they all are different. So there's some that are rainbow colors that are, some are magnetic. Yeah. So that is something that I love playing with. It helps me stay focused. And, and so yeah, Aaron's thinking putty. How cool. I had not seen that before. That's awesome. I love it. Thank you. Yeah. My something cool this week is an app. Yeah, it's it's kind of an obscure little app that I discovered because my husband loves this this podcast called Script Notes, which is where I got the idea for something cool. I totally ripped it off from them. They have a thing at the end of their podcast called One Cool Thing. Totally ripped off the idea, I confess. Anyway, they talk about an app that is called Weekend Reader. And what it does is it's an app that was really designed for reading PDFs of screenplays. If you've ever had somebody send you a PDF and you want to read it on your phone and it's just a pain in the butt because you can't see things properly on the phone and then you have to like enlarge it and, and then you have to like move things around and it's just, it's really annoying to try and read a PDF on your phone. So yes. with the weekend, and it's especially annoying with a screenplay because the way screenplays are formatted, you just, especially with aging eyes like mine, it's just super annoying. So anyway, what Weekend Reader does is it takes your PDF and it just does some magic to it so that it makes it readable on your phone. <laughs> so that's really all it does, but it's kind of cool. So if you 
happen to need to read PDFs on your phone, particularly screenplays. And since my husband writes screenplays and he's always sending me the latest draft and wanting me to read them, (laughs) it makes it a lot more, a lot easier. So it's called Weekend Reader and I will include a link in the show notes. So that's cool. I'm totally getting that. I don't read screenplays, but I lately have been reading a lot of PDFs. And yes, those aging eyes, it's challenging. (laughs) And you're a lot younger than I am. So (laughs) anyway, let me know how it goes. It's a a little bit buggy, so it doesn't always um, format things. And, you know, and if if your PDF has any like graphics, I I don't think it's going to work well. But if it's just text, it should work fine. Anyway. Gary, this has been amazing. You, as always, are a total delight. And I just want to do the Vulcan mind meld with you. You're so right? fun. Yes. <laughs> and then create even more amazing things from Yes. That. You're like my, I don't know, my little brother separated at not birth, whatever. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There, I believe we are all connected in some way, shape, or form. So, yeah, I, I, can, I can feel that. I'm picking up on that. <laughs> Well, I just thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been so much fun, and I'm definitely going to have to have you back. And um, yeah, thank you. No, thank you. That's it. That's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Gary Ware. Let me know if you resonated and connect with me on LinkedIn or direct message with me on Instagram. And speaking of play, this Sunday, October 14th, if you are listening to this around the time when it is published, if you're in Silicon Valley, come join me at Etzheim Creative Sandbox Play Day. It's a half-day co-working retreat to come together with other artists, writers, creatives, and makers to create in community. We all know how hard it is to create in isolation. So come work on a creative project or just play with art supplies, yours or mine, in the company of others. The time is already carved out. It's 10 a.m. to 2.30 p.m. And it's just $25 for the whole day. And it's curated by me. I will lead us in a creative catalyzing session in the morning, and then we will create. It's structured time for you to just dive into creating. Go to creativesandboxplayday.com for all the details and to sign up. That's creativesandboxplayday.com to sign up. And if you are not in Silicon Valley, don't worry, I've got you covered because I'm holding a free virtual play day on Saturday, November 17th, and you're invited. I'm celebrating my birthday by making art and streaming it live on DoodleCam. <laughs> That's what I call live streaming video and inviting everyone to join me. Well, not everyone because I'm limited in the number of people who can actually attend. That's why you have to register. But what you can do is you can come watch as I work on some art and listen to me talk about my process. And you can come make art right alongside me in your own space and ask any questions that you might have. And a bunch of my Creative Sandbox community members are going to be there 
So you'll get a chance to meet some of them as well. But as I said, spots are limited and you do need to register in advance. And this is a live only experience. I will not be sending out a recording of this event. So if you want to be there, you need to actually show up. So go right now to virtualplayday.com to sign up. That's virtualplayday.com. And I'll see you there. It's totally free. And it's a fabulous way to celebrate my birthday. Do some creating again in community. So that's it. Thank you so much for joining me. As always, if you are getting value out of this podcast, share it with a friend. And I would be super appreciative if you would take a moment to hop on over to iTunes and leave a rating and review. That's uh, if you need help doing that, go to creativesandboxway.com slash iTunes dash review. And I've got step by step instructions. And as always, if you email me, and let me know that you left a review and how the podcast has made a difference in your life, then I would love to consider you to invite you to come on the show for listener spotlight. That's how you apply. And if I pick you, we'll have a really fun, relaxed conversation. I'm really good at making people feel comfortable. And you'll get to be featured on the podcast, which is super cool. So that's it. Until next time, I hope you sign up for the virtual play day at virtualplayday.com. And thanks again for joining me. And go get creating. Subscribe at creative sandboxway.com slash podcast.